Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible thanks to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda! I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, nonprofit nerd, also science nerd this Total week. science nerd. Amy Board here <laughs> at BDC. And BDF. Oh! BDC, the we National have a new Hemophilia name. Foundation. We finally got a new name. It's no longer that. It is the National Bleeding Disorders Foundation. Which I'm going to butcher for the next seven months. <laughs> NBDF. We're at the BDC. <laughs> that didn't change. I'm watching Doris Kwan spin the take a spin rare factor deficiency wheel of the science Doris fair right Kwan now. Doris Kwan is Patrick's hematologist. Fun fact. So it's really fun that this is happening. She's wearing the lab coat just like we are <laughs> right now. Uh, Amy and I are recording this, as you can probably we tell if you're listening in audio only inside the exhibit hall inside the science fair in fact they're going to start tearing things down probably in the next <laughs> 15 to 20 so if minutes you hear loud bangs that's what it is maybe an abbreviated episode but we wanted to uh yeah yeah recap a little bit of our experience some highlights before we uh, call it on bdc 2023 yep. amy board let's start here because we're at the science fair yeah the science fair uh what was this year like as compared to last year what were some of the high points for you what was the experience of the science fair at BDC 2023? Um, the science fair, like we talked uh, a little bit about last episode, is a giant like science museum exhibit, if you will, that really breaks down um, bleeding disorder science, which is really cool. We actually go through the clotting cascade. We figure out like what factor proteins do, what their relationship are to one another. We have a brand new module about rare factor deficiencies, which has been very cool. Mm -hmm. And then we get into treatments. You know, how have treatments evolved over the decades? And then what are some of the things that are new, the new sciences? Um, we have a really cool gene therapy module, which kind of breaks down what, um, what research and scientists have done in terms of gene therapy for hemophilia A and hemophilia B. It's been great. It has been very popular. Yeah. Um, we Again. have seen a huge um, surplus of people from last year, um, all ages for the science fair. It's been really cool. It's one of the coolest things we do, I think. We'll be at BDC next year in Atlanta. So if you're thinking about attending that meeting, make sure to attend the meeting and to see the science fair because it's like the big science fair is just one time a year. That's true. As far as the road show, we have a couple few of those coming up in the Correct. fall. Correct. If you live in Oregon, uh, check out um, Oregon's Education Weekend. As you know, it's always at the zoo, um, folks yeah. from Oregon. So the roadshow is going to be there. And then it will be in New York City. It's actually going to be in Manhattan, November 19th. It's going to be an education day um, from that community there in Manhattan. So um, please feel free to check us out. And then we will be announcing our roadshow locations for 2024, probably in the fall here this year. Right on. Uh, we'll also be at the American Society of Hematology's meeting at the end of the year, the ASH National Meeting. Uh, where is it this year? What, it city? is in San Diego. It's oh, in our neck of the woods. So we'll be at uh, the ASH meeting as well for all those hematologists. Pretty cool. So first time we'll be bringing it to a medical conference. Uh, yeah, huge part of our experience here at the BDC is the science fair. It's where we also like just meet and catch up with a lot of people. Yes. It, be it becomes our de facto like booth and hangout spot. <laughs> yeah. So obviously it's been a big part of our experience here. Um, but there have been some other things we wanted to touch on. You know, we mentioned the rebrand. We mentioned the name. The opening session, there was a lot of talk about yeah. what this rebrand means. A new tagline of innovation, education, advocacy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure off I the think. top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious, Amy, beyond the name, and we don't have to go far on this, but beyond just the name change, 
What does the, the new name, the new brand, this moment in time for the foundation mean, do you think, now that we know what the name is and some of the messaging around this, this moment? Well, I think the obvious thing for me is obviously the inclusion. You know, Bleeding Disorders is truly the work that the organization does. And I think, and they, the, the NHF, <laughs> no, what are they now? NBDF. I'm going to butcher <laughs> it. We all are. It's like when it takes you until oh March to start writing gosh, the correct year on stuff. It's bad. I haven't said it at all during this conference because I, just, just like refuse it. yeah I'm just not I've seen NHF staff mem- and BDF staff members <laughs> who have it written on their hand to help them I'm remember to do that so I'm gonna butcher it the whole time I think it's okay anyway they have always said that their local chapters have been like um, ahead of the game with this and there are there are so many chapters that have updated their um, names to include all bleeding disorders rather than hemophilia so that is the thing that I think is neat and then also the tagline innovate educate and advocate that really hasn't changed but I think that word innovate um, is really about the research pillar um, mm. that this organization and this board has really like taken a hold of, which I think is very, very cool. Speaking about being in the science fair, right. I think hemophilia and Von Willebrand's really needs to like get some money involved and, and play catch up in a way. Mm. Um, but I, I do believe that we are a rare disease space that is leading the way in terms of innovative science about how we look at treating rare and chronic diseases. And so um, I think our next step really, and you know, just to be selfish about saying this, sure. is to get women involved, um, to get women involved in trying trials to get women specifically have the trials designed for women to participate to see how these new treatments are going to affect women who are affected with mild hemophilia. Amy, you had a couple of moderating responsibilities during this meeting, yeah. one of which is actually yet to take place, but the other of which was a couple of days ago, a hemophilia B, I think a pre-con meeting. Yeah. What came out of that? What did you learn? What was interesting about the hemophilia B world from that meeting? Um, it was great. Um, there was uh, there were several precons that happened at the same time, and they were all designated in that way. So there was a hemophilia B, there was a hemophilia A precon, and then there was a von Willebrand precon, and then there was a rare factor deficiency precon, which is cool. Okay, we got and some nice loud noises building in the I background. Know, I know, I know, they're taking here. stuff down. <laughs> Which is great. Um, but our precon really looked at the um, evolution of treatment and what's happening and then had a patient panel to kind of, you know, uh, kind of discuss what it's been like changing treatment and the cool thing I thought and we'll talk about your session which was a hot topic mm. um, was we had uh, a patient that was dosed with gene therapy and this um, gentleman actually was dosed six years ago with um, a gene therapy product and has uh, maintained a level now of 24% and is this he... first name Bill? <laughs> yeah he's okay, the same he's guy in my session too. <laughs> yeah 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 um, he's great and he's just had a really good experience and yeah. it was lively it was a really great um, session, a lot of questions. And so it was just good. It was just really good to like start out, you know, in that community sense. For sure. And yeah, what a, what a, I mean, he's, he's one of the few people who have now been on a gene therapy yep. product that long. So it's uh, particularly valuable to hear his experience. Another particularly valuable experience, Sean Jeffrey. Who, right. He's speaking openly about it, so I don't think he minds my mentioning actually, his name. And actually, I want to like cut in because we're going to segue to this, but you moderated a session that I wasn't able to attend. We haven't talked about it. Candid Conversations. That's right. Specifically on gene therapy experience. So kind of get into your to your session. Yeah, they had Bill, who we just talked about, guy with heme B, dosed you know, over five years ago. They had Sean, guy with heme A, who participated in a clinical trial, and Dr. Mark Redding from, I believe, Minnesota, whose center was one of the trial sites to provide the medical clinical point of view and, and what his learnings and experiences were yeah. through the process. 
um, called Candid Conversations, and to Brendan Hayes of NBDF's credit, <laughs> she was emphatic about Candid Conversations. Right. You know? Um, so I, uh, I asked some questions and followed my curiosity, and what, what we learned in particular, the, the, the big kind of news coming out of it, was um, Sean's experience on his trial was not good. Yeah. Um, I, it was not a good outcome. He regrets doing it. He doesn't feel as though he had been given the full scope. He didn't feel like he was given the full scope of potential negative outcomes up front. Mm. And so it just made the process for him all the more unfortunate. He, what were the negative outcomes? He was having issues with his eye and eyesight. He All the steroids in particular, he had a bunch of mental and physiological symptoms as a result of uh, the steroids in particular. Okay. He's regained his vision, his eyes are okay, and it sounds like the, the mental components and fatigue and things have largely uh, improved. But the way to hear him describe it, and he got emotional during the session, mm. it was not good. So I just bluntly asked him at some point, do you regret your decision? And he said, yeah. Oh. Um, he also admitted that what, in part, you know, he mentioned the community responsibility and like wanting yeah. to do something for the good of science and for the good of right. community, which is fantastic and noble and all those things. But I pressed him on that a little bit. And I was like, hey, look, I'm somebody who also does things for the greater good and is a mission-driven guy. Right. Well, let's be real. Is that the whole reason? Why else did you decide that a yeah. clinical trial for HEMA? I have HEMA. Yeah. It wasn't right for me. Why was it right for you? And he admitted that he wanted to go back to school, but in that period would not have insurance. But if he was on this clinical trial, he wouldn't have to have insurance. He would have therapy. Right. And if it was sustained therapy, he may not have to worry about it for a while. Right. So a financial insurance related decision right. led to this individual making a treatment choice for a once in a lifetime type of treatment right. that had a really bad outcome. So I think there's a bunch to dig into there about what motivates decisions. How is our healthcare system set up so that optimized, personalized care can be realized and we're not making mm -hmm. decisions based on, oh, I... I'm in an insurance gap, but if I guinea pig myself, right. then maybe I can get a treatment for a right. moment. And now, unfortunately, he's on the other side. He was back to his factor regimen within okay. eight months. Okay. So, didn't go well. Yeah. And he was very candid about it. And that enabled us in the room to have a really robust conversation yeah. and for people to go like, oh, wow, okay. So, all these headlines with the word cure and price tags and right. all this like sizzly, eye-popping stuff. Right. When the rubber meets the road, we need to hear these stories like Sean's to appreciate, hey, it ain't all great. And we've said it before, it bears repeating. The science and data behind the currently available gene therapy for hemophilia B versus the currently available gene therapy for hemophilia A are night and day. I these will are say, very different. I will say Dr. Redding was also in our HEMB session, and he did say that for the clinical trials for HEMB, what they're seeing is it works for some and it doesn't work for others. And I, I don't know if that's a HEMA thing as well, but I, I, and he said, we don't know why that is a part of the data collection to like kind of figure out like it. And I don't know if, if the, the, like it didn't work out means that you just don't have those levels. You just have to go back to your factor regimen all the other side effects that Sean was having that seemed like a whole nother thing. I did not get that sense that that was a part of the HEMB trial. However, I do think 
with this particular science, if you make a decision that you would like to try this, I think it's really fascinating that like it's a gamble and like, yeah. they don't know why. They don't know why it works in some and, and it doesn't work in others. And that's a part of the science. That's part of science is to figure that out. So it's not like they're not doing a good job. That's a part of this clinical research. Yeah. We, nothing is ever FDA approved when we have, quote, all the data because there's no such thing as right. all the data. So we create endpoints. There's review processes. Correct trained, licensed, responsible professionals, we hope, right. who are in these posts to make decisions. Right, 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 right. But then it's commercially available and it's up to doctors and patients to have conversations. Right. Because another perspective I've heard regulators talk about from Europe at a world meeting a few years ago was, who are we to tell, even if it's a small subset of patients for right. whom this therapy could be life-changing, who are we to stand in the way? Right. Because if we approve it, it doesn't mandate every patient must take it, right. but it creates the option for the 5, 10, 25, however many percent of patients for whom this would be right. right, right. If we say no because we want to continue to get more information, well, at what point do we have enough information? Because we're never going to have all of right. it. I'm paraphrasing right, 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 a, a European regulator who I, I completely hear that. And I think that's important too, not to think that the FDA's, you know, red stamp of approval right. just means everything's great. This is definitely right for you. Go for it. No, it means it's an option right, right, right. that you should be discussing with your doctor Correct. to see if it fits your goals and your particular situation. Cool. So that's what we're living in. Um, but I think uh, Sean's story was important. I'll yes. also highlight he is like a real worst case scenario. In fact, he yeah. even talked about because his, his expression, his symptoms were so severe that they were like really interested in trying to get a handle on that. And right. he was really interested in right. like staying in it and not coming right. off the And eventually he had to just say no more, no right. more steroids, like this right. is too much. But he was also trying to fight for the greater good and like let's get the best data we can about these terrible outcomes, which is noble of him, but also comes back to like individual burden, unfortunately. Right. right. That being said, Dr. Redding did say that stories like Sean's are stories he's heard. So while yeah. Sean's experience was particularly, we'll say, dramatic, right. it's not a complete and total outlier right. from that of others. So right. what's this all boil down to? What does this mean for you, dear listener? It depends on who you are. The bottom line is take the information and take your goals to your doctor. Have conversations. But I hope that just by hearing a little bit of what Amy and I experienced in these various A, B, gene therapy, transitional moments in time, sessions that it helps maybe clarify a little bit of your thinking. Right. The I'm Fine segment that we debuted in the previous episode, Challenging Entrenched Mindset. Second installment of the I'm Fine segment is coming up on this episode. This is all I've ever known. Is that even possible for me? I don't want to miss anything. I don't need that. I don't want to acknowledge my pain. Fine. I don't want to get poked with needles. I don't, I don't want, want that. that. There's nothing wrong. I'm fine. 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 New Year's resolutions. No, I'm not asking you to start thinking about those already. Although 2024 will be here sooner than we think. New Year's resolutions are interesting. Because if you've ever made one, then you already know how hard and unlikely it is to change a behavior. In fact, 80% of New Year's resolutions will fail by February. And while many of us have heard the adage that it takes three weeks to build a habit, a 2009 study titled How Habits Are Formed concluded that most people need 66 days, with some as many as 254 days for a new behavior to become an automatic habit. In other words, Change ain't easy, and is yet another reason that someone with hemophilia may be resistant or stuck in an I'm fine mindset when it comes to their care. Today, I have invited my friend, 
hemophilia caregiver, and clinical therapist, Debbie De La Riva, to speak with me about how behavior change, or a resistance to change, contributes to the I'm Fine mindset. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for joining me. Let's start with your professional hat. Debbie, knowing that behavior change is so challenging, what are a couple of tips that you can share with people that may help them initiate or stick to a change? This is my personal experience and this is my professional experience. What we try to do is jump straight into the behavioral aspect of, you know, whatever we're trying to change. We want to do more of something good or less of something bad. And we inevitably many times aren't able to come through. And a lot of it has to do with we forgot a really big aspect of our body, which is our mind. And we forgot to look at the psychological aspects of ourselves, many of which are so hidden or unchallenged that, you know, we're not even aware of them. Um, You and I talk sometimes about, you know, internal narratives. These are scripts in our minds that have been given to us many times by unhealthy people and many times by ourselves. But I mean, there's scripts such as, you know, I've never, I've never finished anything I've started in the past, or I'm never going to be good enough. So why even try? And it's really, really important because if we don't become aware of them and challenge them, that's that mindset that's going to get in the way of anything you've tried to put down on paper or on your, on your calendar. And um, a lot of them have to do with, you know, like self-agency. And even self-worth, you know, do I matter enough to take time out to do this positive thing for myself? So um, as you can imagine, that's from my background being a therapist, but those are my truths. Um, A lot of things too, Patrick, I find that people forget two aspects when they're trying to do change, and that's compassion, self-compassion and flexibility. Um, You know, we know that our inner critic can really take over when we're not doing our, we're not consistently doing whatever we want to be doing. And just putting the flexibility in there too about, you know, it's okay. Some days you're going to, you're going to knock out of the park and some days you're not going to get out of bed. I think the last thing I want to talk about with this question is that there's this whole thing It's called permissive thinking. And it's, you know, it's therapists put these really fancy names to these really simple concepts, but really it is about just giving yourself permission on a regular basis not to do that thing that's good for you or not to not do that thing that's bad for you. And, you know, left unchecked, that can really get in your way too. You know, when you say something like, you know what, I'm going to have this ice cream at the end of the day because I've already blown it anyway. Those kind of things. I'm having a bad day. I deserve a break. As a mom and caregiver to a now adult son with hemophilia, how did you personally experience the challenge of changing behaviors with respect to your son's hemophilia? Well, again, another easy, that's a, that's a question that just is straight, goes straight to my heart, <laughs> straight to my mind because of my own personal experience. And, and I, I want to talk about it because I hope it's not just unique to me. It just from the very beginning and into the present day, it's always looking for that sweet spot about who is responsible for what change, especially as it comes to managing hemophilia. Um, I'm still looking for that sweet spot between me wanting to control and have some kind of elusive control over things that are not always within my control with this um, with the bleeding disorder. 
and giving my son his autonomy, his sense of empowerment. Um, I don't know if I've told you the story before, but um, he would go to camp, he would learn to infuse, he would have that picture with the first stick, and then as soon as he came home, I'd start it all over again where I would take over the task. This went on for a couple of years. And that, that HTC nurse gave me a call and told me how frustrated she was with me. It took me a minute for my ego to come back and to process all of that, and then I realized, yeah, I really am making a big mistake, especially after she asked me if I was going to go on his honeymoon to infuse him. <laughs> that message, you know, message received. Lastly, Debbie, is there a story of a particular behavior change from your life that helped you learn something worth sharing with others? Yeah, and again, I always hope it's not unique to me. And it is something that I have to learn over and over again. And it's that this, it's very simple. Whatever change I'm trying to make, it's the change itself that's important, not perfection. And that is such a hard thing to to, to have um, stay in my mind on a consistent basis. I, I think maybe you could relate to about public speaking and doing what you do for all of us. Um, you know, the, the cost is this, you know, once we've given a, given a presentation or done an amazing podcast, there just seems to be this space where there's this party, and I do mean party, of the inner critic just pointing out everything that uh, I felt like I did wrong. And I get to experience that freedom every now and then, that, that space where I can just tell my inner self that it's okay, you can calm down. It's all part of the process, man. Every time I go to bat, I'm going to get better and better. So anyway, that's my story. and I hope it helps people. Well, Debbie, thanks as always for speaking with me. And I appreciate you contributing to the I'm Fine segment today. Absolutely. I appreciate you too. I believe in everything you're doing. Hemophilia severity is determined by factor activity levels, a measurement of how much factor you have in your blood at time of diagnosis. The more factor you have in your body over time, the better your bleed protection is, which is why many people with hemophilia choose to treat prophylactically. Your doctor can perform measurements to evaluate the factor activity levels in your blood. Learn more about the importance of factor activity levels by talking to your doctor and visiting levelsmatter.com. Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rareblooddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorders community. Setting goals is one excellent way to help yourself achieve change. And according to askwonder.com, writing down goals helps increase completion rates by over 40%. And having an accountability partner, well, that's gonna increase success by 70%. So don't let fear, insecurity, or a lack of support or resources prevent you from making a change that enables you to break out of the I'm fine mindset. You deserve better than that. You deserve to get the best out of yourself. And if you'd like some more resources and support on that journey, check out mentalhealthmatters2.com for a list of resources. Thanks to Debbie DeLariva for joining me today and thank you Sanofi for supporting this Bloodstream segment. Subscribe to the Bloodstream podcast wherever you listen and we'll be back next time with another installment of I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. 
Uh, another highlight point from this conference, Redefining Impossible screened, oh, as did the trailer for On the Shoulders love. Of. Love. Uh, and I'm very happy to say that you all are going to get to hear a little additional content from the world of elite athletes with hemophilia yes. and bleeding disorders as we are debuting today the first elite athlete segment here on the Bloodstream podcast. That will be coming up in just a little bit, featuring Elijah Warren, one of the cast members, who also, Amy, got to join us last night for the I Q&A know. afterwards. I know, I know. And I, he's from Colorado, and I love him. And I didn't get to ask him my follow-up question because I thought about it too late, but I wanted to ask him. Elijah, you, Michael Phelps, 53, who wins? Oh, I like that. I say Elijah because Phelps is old. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I say Elijah's got it. Uh, Redefining Impossible can be streamed for free as of right now. I'm, maybe I'm burying the headline here a little bit. <laughs> Unlike some of our other films, right, which you can find Bombardier Blood on Amazon and YouTube in places. Yeah. You can find Let's Talk at certain patient meetings around the country. But this one is available right now. EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com. You can stream it from there. You can share the link with people. Free from charge. If, free of charge. And if you're a program director, an executive director, or someone who's a conference organizer, coordinator, and you're looking for a great event, that community you might want to come out, something that you can highlight at your patient education meeting or whatever it may be, you can screen Redefining Impossible for free. There is a screenings toolkit at EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com. It enables you to completely run that autonomously. You don't need us. You don't need Sanofi. Thank you for supporting the film. It's on you. You can run with it. And if you do have questions, of course, you can reach out to us. So the film and all of the screening information, all free. EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com, and in a couple of minutes, you'll hear the first segment here on Bloodstream, which you will now hear every month for the next several months. Um, but last question I want that's to ask cool. you, Amy. I just think that's cool. I'm just going to put my little like, <laughs> stamp on that. I want to give you a chance on the shoulders of. Yes. What is that about? Let's give the audience a little tease of that before we throw to the Elite Athletes segment and get out of here. Oh my gosh. I've been working on this all year with director Drama Del Rosario. Um, award winning. BAFTA award winning um, and Kay Vermeil, who is our editor, who is also um, uh, one of our camera operators, a cinematographer Writing has been working. On Rob's on Redefining yes. Impossible. So it's been us little, a little posse. We've been working on this film now for a little over a year, if you will. And um, we have followed several of the old timers in the hemophilia community. We have um, followed uh, some guys and a woman from Michigan that I can't wait for you to hear her story. Mm. And and we are putting this film together so basically so we don't lose the legacy of our of our older generation as we know um, many of our older generation are not with us anymore due yeah. to um, the AIDS and HIV contamination crisis and so um, the stories are more important than ever we mm. lost Val Bias um, a couple years ago who is a huge through line in the film mm. um, get a little emotional mm. no one had an interview that didn't mention Val which mm. I thought was really Really interesting we didn't prompt that it's just it's it's important for all of us it's important for us to know where um whose backs we have climbed on and truly mm. we have climbed on some <laughs> well all right amy board i think you did a nice job there of teasing that um so on the shoulders of you're going to be hearing more about that as we go the elite yeah. athlete segment is next we're not going to do the traditional outro we're going to leave it here we'll throw to the segment we'll leave you there 
Bloodstream, if you're new, if you found out about us at the meeting, we are the second and fourth yes. Friday every month. Subscribe, share the episode. And again, EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com. You can watch the film, you can share the film, and you can screen the film with your local organization free of charge and everything you need is at EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com. And make sure to follow us on social media. We're at Bloodstream Media. Also, follow the Science Fair, Believe in Science, on Instagram and on Facebook um, for all of your science needs. Really great resources and all the things. All right, abbreviated. We got a segment, but, you know, hey, for now, I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I'm that other host, Amy Board. And until next time, take self-care of yourself. But first, enjoy the first ever Elite Athlete segment, but also bye, everybody. Sanofi seeks to expand the idea of what's possible for the hemophilia community. Take a deeper look at the science behind hemophilia and an important connection between factor activity levels and potential activities at levelsmatter.com. In the unforgiving world of sports, living with a bleeding disorder sets you apart from the pack constantly bombarded with the deafening echoes of Kant. The challenges are relentless, and the naysayers are never far behind, doubting your every move, your every dream of athletic greatness. The battle is fierce, but imagine taking that intensity to a whole new level, daring to be an elite athlete, all while wrestling with the beast that is known as hemophilia. It's a journey that defies all odds, a path reserved for the true warriors who refuse to back down. So gear up and brace yourselves, because in this high-stakes arena, being an athlete is just the beginning. Welcome to the world of the elite, where hemophilia is just another mountain to conquer. This is Redefining Impossible, the podcast. Hemophilia severity is determined by factor activity levels, a measurement of how much factor you have in your blood at the time of diagnosis. The more factor you have in your body over time, the better your bleed protection is, which is why many people with hemophilia choose to treat prophylactically. Your doctor can perform measurements to evaluate the factor activity levels in your blood. Learn more about the importance of factor activity levels by talking to your doctor and visiting levelsmatter.com. Meet Elijah Warren, a remarkable swimmer with an unyielding spirit and an unbreakable determination to conquer waters despite the odds stacked against him. This is the extraordinary journey of an elite swimmer with hemophilia. Hey, I'm Elijah Warren, severe type A hemophilia, grew up swimming, swam in the collegiate level. Elijah faces a unique challenge. Hemophilia, a rare genetic disorder that impairs the blood's ability to clot, poses risks even for the smallest of injuries. But in the pursuit of greatness, he's found an unbreakable spirit that pushes him to test his limits every day. Every stroke, every lap, is a battle against his own body. But through sheer grit and a meticulous approach to managing his condition, Elijah has turned his limitations into strengths. I think we're all very internally driven, internally motivated, and I think being active and being 
involved in sports, I think was a good outlet for all of us to just take whatever it may be and just have something that we are passionate about and enjoy doing and just put all of our focus and attention into in that specific moment. So I think it was just an easy way for all of us to connect and have something that we enjoy doing and we enjoyed supporting each other as a family. For Elijah, family isn't just a word. It's the driving force behind his spirit of swimming greatness. I'm Brandon Warren, I'm Elijah's father. From my perspective, it's really something that started with Jen. Jen is Elijah's mother. She was a former personal trainer. That kind of naturally flowed into our family, always trying to stay as active as we can. We're not big fans of just laying around. And then from the sports piece, we stumbled upon that for the kids. And then as each one of them started to show different athletic abilities that they had in their respective sports, it just flowed from there. And then from Elijah touched on something earlier, he talked about adaptation to difficulty. So I think that's super important. And so the adaptation to adversity is what I would say really our children have been able to learn from sports and including their various challenges that they have either with physical or mental setbacks. Victory, triumph over adversity. Elijah proves that with unwavering dedication and the unconditional support of family, even the most formidable challenges can be conquered. In Elijah's case, having hemophilia and being able to have some success in a sport at a high level, but all the while dealing with adversity along the way. So a lot of times his teammates and his friends didn't see or hear that he had to sit out at recess because he had a bleed or that he couldn't participate in certain things that they were participating in at birthday parties, et cetera, because it wasn't ideal for hemophilia. Dealing with those types of challenges during, during the course of while he was swimming, I think that's all of that sort of built into him so that he can achieve more as he's an adult and as he gets into adulthood and trying to get into med school and some of the setbacks there and the challenges there. And then even after that, dealing with those different adversities that life will throw at you, I think he's already had some of this in his hip pocket along with his sisters. The role of sports plays a really big role in those two aspects of life, really. In the pool, Elijah finds a sanctuary where hemophilia becomes an afterthought. He's not just an elite swimmer with hemophilia, he's an inspiration, a testament to the indomitable human spirit and the power of family. That was Pac-12 championships. That was a pretty big moment when he graduated and he had to walk and was introduced at a swim meet at Arizona State. That was a big moment where we came to support him several different moments like that. State championships were swimming. It's difficult to point out just one, but what I can tell you is that as he was growing up and as the accolades and the achievements started to come, we always wanted to be there as a family to support him because we all knew what it took to get there and the setbacks, the bleeds, the challenges. So it was important for us as a family to be there to support him. In Elijah's tale, he goes beyond the ordinary defying expectations in establishing new frontiers for himself and for others who have grown weary of the doubter's constant refrain. Armed with passion, grit, and the support of a tight-knit community, the script is rewritten, turning his bleeding disorder into a badge of honor, a symbol of resilience that inspires the world. Get involved with your local hemophilia foundation. Ask questions. 
don't be afraid to try something new, right? And, and there, there's naturally going to be limitations, right? Contact sports like football may not be in the cards, but there could be something. And if you just engage with your local chapter, it can help you not only narrow down the focus to an, a specific sport or something, but also plot a path towards the treatment to support that initiative to jump into that sport. So I think Elijah touched on it earlier by saying, ask questions, contact your local hemophilia foundation and get involved that way. That's a great way to start. Elijah Warren's journey is just a taste of the awe-inspiring stories that unfold in the film Redefining Impossible. But hey, we're not stopping there. In this segment of the Bloodstream podcast, we're diving deep into the lives of more elite athletes from the hemophilia community. These are the relentless warriors who refuse to be defined by their bleeding disorders. So keep those ears peeled and stay locked in because we'll be back with you next month on Redefining Impossible, the podcast. Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rarebloodddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorder community. know that I, I told that uh, I don't want to stay on parade, but I've bleeping I want to stay on parade. This is the best. <laughs>